This is Great Day Nation presented by BetMGM. I'm your host, Morton Anderson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Freeze-Pops. Tommy, what do we have this week, brother? Morton, thanks as always for having me. Week 9 of the NFL regular season is upon us, and we're joined by one of your former teammates from Michigan State, a man who went on and played a different sport and became an iconic outfielder for the Tigers and Dodgers, two-time World Series champion and college football Hall of Famer Kirk Gibson joins the show. It's an awesome conversation. I'm excited for you guys to hear that one. Then we'll get into Morton's Fast Five, where we'll give you our picks for the five biggest matchups of the NFL weekend. And finally, we'll close things out with Morton's game winner. But before we get into all of that, let's go to the opening kick. Morton Anderson kicks off, and it's a beauty through the end zone. And Morton Anderson has been doing that with regularity this season and throughout his illustrious career. Shaboy! What an epic weekend I just had. Saturday afternoon in East Lansing for a battle of two top 10 teams in college football. My Spartans hanging on and winning the game late despite being down by 16 at one point. Mel Tucker has the boys in green and white rolling. They're playing tough disciplined football and adjustments were made at halftime that helped win the game. It also helps that we have the best running back in the nation. Kenneth Walker III almost single-handedly beat the Wolverines, scoring all five of the Spartans' touchdowns in a matchup of undefeated teams. That is the most rushing touchdowns ever scored against Michigan in a game. In Saturday's matchup against number six Michigan, Walker III ran for 197 yards, averaging a whopping eight and a half yards per carry. You follow me, Heisman? Here we come. The vibe was electric and the energy in Spartan Stadium was off the charts. We headed back to Atlanta after the game and readied ourselves for Act 2. The Braves versus the Astros in Game 5 of the 2021 World Series. Four sweet tickets in the terrace level of the infield and we were chopping along with thousands of Braves fans. The outcome? Mm, was not what we wanted, but there's more baseball to be played, and I believe the Braves will prevail. Great organization, great players, managers, and a top-shelf franchise. The Braves continue to support our family foundation, and they have been an invaluable community partner. The Braves are truly the gold standard in Atlanta for pro sports. So not bad for a fall weekend, making memories with our son Sebastian and other Spartans and bucket list experience with the Braves. It's time to hydrate, time to sweat. I absolutely love it. I was so jealous of the weekend that you just had. Uh, That World Series game, you probably went into that thinking, look, I'm riding high, Sparty just got it done. I'm about to see the Braves clinch a World Series here. I thought they were gonna hoist the trophy right there in Truett Stadium. (laughs) I mean, it was uh, was electric. We went up in the first inning, uh, Grand Slam, four nothing, before you even basically had gotten in your seats. We're up four nothing, and I'm thinking, we're gonna coast. And then here came the Astros chipping away like an annoying gnat, just chipping away, just chipping away, singles and doubles, singles and doubles. And eventually it matriculated, you know, they're running around the base. Man, a bullpen was bad. 
I'm telling you, uh, Freeze, it was electric. I've never been to a World Series game, and it's different live, man. It's just a different elevated experience. The place was packed, and it was just when they shut the lights down, everybody had their phones out with the lights and doing the chop. It, it was pretty bad. It was bad to the bone. So glad I got to experience that with three of my best buddies here, and uh, we had a blast. It was a late night, man. I paid for it the next day, but do it all over again. That's amazing. And quickly, before we get to your interview with Kirk Gibson, Michigan State, they're now ranked fifth in the country in the AP poll, sixth in the coaches poll, remaining schedule, Purdue, Maryland, Ohio State, Penn State. All of those are really good teams. Five and three, five and three, one loss Ohio State, and then five and three Penn State. So no cupcakes the rest of the way for the Spartans. What are you thinking? Are we going undefeated here? First of all, how are we not ranked ahead of Cincinnati? Yeah, that one baffles me Come because on. Cincinnati has not looked that good. I mean, they barely beat Tulane. They barely beat Navy. I mean, they've had a weird stretch. I don't know, man. We we just keep taking care of business. That's what we got to do. I'm I'm just worried. I want to hold on to Mel Tucker. I don't want him to go to LSU. I don't want him to go to other places. Stay right there in Spartan country, buddy. We'll pay you. Pay him whatever he wants. Lock we him may, down. We may win a national championship here, boys and girls. Let's go. This is the year to do it. It's been a weird year in college football. Oh, yeah. I think we can take Ohio State. I think we can take Penn State. Let's go. I really do think they have a shot. I mean, mm. with that running game. Mm. All right. Before we get to your conversation with Kirk Gibson, I wanted to tell you guys about our friends at BetMGM. BetMGM is the king of sports books, and they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet $10 to win $200. If your team scores a touchdown, bet on any NFL money line. And if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. only. Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and it's the official odds maker of Great Dane Nation. All right, let's get to that conversation with Kirk Gibson. Let's kick it. My guest today is, well, the first word that comes to mind is athlete, and I'll explain as we go. Kirk Gibson was part of one of the most iconic sports plays, not just in baseball, but one of the most iconic plays in the World Series in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and runners on second facing a certain Mr. Eckersley, and I'll let him tell the story as well as we go. That particular home run was iconic and i watch it on a regular basis it's just a phenomenal powerful image in sports and it's just a great honor buddy to to have you gibby kirk gibson everyone say hi to all our guys out there all our great fans and uh you know let me start here gibby a lot of people don't know you and i were roommates back in 1978 i think it's an appropriate place to start because a lot of guys you know a lot of people don't know you were a hell of a hell of a football player at Michigan State, and you were a senior, I was a freshman, and uh, yeah, you ran a 4-2-4, at least this is what I my research tells me, in the 40, 
But more impressively, you remember the play where you were running a, a go route, Eddie threw it, there was an interception, and you chased the guy down. You made a U-turn and ran past everybody and chased that guy down before he scored. Yeah, Minnesota. Athlete. Come on. You were always an athlete. Just a runner. Yeah, you were just a runner, right? That could catch the ball and fly. But great times at Michigan State, Gibby. I was just a little snot-nosed 19-year-old kid from Denmark, and it sure was fun to be part of that Big Ten championship team. What is your recollection back to, let's go back to 1978 and that iconic year we had. We're on probation, but just that team and, you know, Dale Rogers and just playing in Spartan Stadium back in the late 70s. Pretty pretty fun time, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, the Great Dane, is that the name of the podcast? Great Dane Nation, yes. Great Dane Nation. And so I trust that I'm speaking to a few people in the Great Dane Nation across the water away. So hello, everybody, and welcome. You know, you weren't my first exposure to a Great Dane. That was Hans Nielsen. And we learned a lot in the three years that we were with him. And then he was used his eligibility and then income the little next little Great Dane. And, uh, you know, you had a lot of you had a lot of pressure on you because Hans was a great guy who was well liked on the team. And you had some big shoes to fill. And boy, did you ever. Uh, The great thing about what you walked into was a group of young men from many cultures across the United States and from around the, the world that went through probation. We all showed up at Michigan State as freshmen. We were seven and four. It was the year after they beat um, Ohio State on a, a late touchdown by Levi Jackson. And um, we came there with great uh, dreams of what we were going to be, only to put on probation after our freshman year. A lot of guys, you know, said they were going to leave. And some of the guys did leave because they were going to put on probation. But our freshman class that came in, there was a lot of guys that, you know, we liked each other. It, it's, you know, it's more about sticking together and putting this thing back together after being shot down by the NCAA, which we could debate whether we got a fair sentence or not. Three years of probation, that was basically all I had left in eligibility. Yeah, we decided to stay. So we built through it. And then Denny Stoltz, our initial coach my freshman year, he got fired. He he resigned. They brought in Daryl Rogers, who was a guy from, I believe, San Jose State. Denny Stoltz was more of a run and attack guy. Daryl Rogers liked to throw the ball, which I was a receiver, a wide receiver. I liked that. And, um, you know, Daryl had a little more personality. You remember how he used to talk a little bit? Hey, man. Hey, man, um, we're just going to throw the rock. Eddie, Eddie, just throw the ball. Throw the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it didn't work this time. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. Uh, you know, he, was, hey. he really liked to fling it. Yeah, he, he looked at me the first time. He saw me. He goes, you know, what are you doing as a receiver? You look like a linebacker to me. You look like an out, light, outside linebacker. And I ran a few times for him. He goes, oh, we better keep you a receiver. He had that high. He looks pretty point. good. Yeah. So, um, you know, we came back and we were building, uh, though, uh, my sophomore year, we started to throw the ball. I think we were four and five and one or something like that. We didn't have a very good record, but we knew we were going to be good. Our junior year, we trended up. Our senior year, we knew that uh, this was our last year. We liked each other, though. We worked hard. We pushed each other. 
we had fun with each other. We did things that you can't say nowadays with no, mm-hmm. nobody took it as offensive. No. And as a matter of fact, we tested each other to make sure that we knew that we liked and loved and we weren't racist against each other. We didn't pick on each other. We pushed each other, like I said, to make each other better. I ran harder to make the guy next to me run harder. Yes, uh, you kick better to make the guy behind you kick better. I just kick extra points. I mean, we had 56 extra. <laughs> yeah. You know, I let the, the the Big Ten in scoring, but it was all extra points. Yeah. We, in the red scored, zone, we, we scored touchdowns. 40, we, I think we averaged like 40-some points a game. But it all Set came the record. together. Yeah. Oh, and, um, you know, that year started, we started, we were one and three. Eddie broke his finger. Eddie Smith, our quarterback, broke his finger in the game at Purdue. So he was out two or three games. Then we we went out to USC. I don't know if you remember that game in the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. And they beat up on us pretty bad. That was Eddie's first game back. But after yeah. that, it was over. We crushed It was over. We had weapons. We could stop them. Yep. Uh, we made impact plays. We could pass the ball. We could run the ball. We could kick the ball. We had a good punter. Race we had everything it took. Unfortunately, we got stripped of our right to go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I ended up getting drafted my junior year in baseball. I told all those scouts, I'm not, don't draft me in baseball because I'm coming back with my boys in my senior year. And That's awesome. Only the Detroit Tigers said, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll let you play football. And then you got to, but when you come, you can't go to the NFL from there. We'll, we'll let you go. We'll draft you as a junior, play 50 games in the minor leagues in the summer. Then you can go back and play football. And boy, did we. And now, now just think of this. Here's a kid that always wanted to be in the NFL. I was big. I was fast. I loved to crush people. Um, I love the contact. I love my teammates. I love to be a leader. And all of a sudden, I have a coach who comes up and says, I think you should go out and play baseball. My junior year, uh, instead of play spring football, I said, why would I want to do that? And he said, because you want to be a top five pick in the NFL. You do anything in baseball, you're going to be a top five pick. So I went out. Then I got drafted. Then I had to make the decision, football, baseball. And I ultimately, I chose baseball because it was a longer career. The basic players agreement and the collective bargaining agreements were better in baseball at the time. And I got a chance to play where I grew up in Detroit, yes. Michigan, basically. And uh, now, having said that, so I signed in July of my junior year, got a pretty good bonus, went out and bought a van, customized it, a stereo and a waterbed. And, <laughs> well, we had a good time that year. That was a good time. Did you have the shack carpeting? Oh yeah, we had the shag carpeting in there, and uh, you know, um, did it have? Did you give it a name? You know how guys when they get attached to their cars, they give it a name. Yeah, no, I nothing that I could share right now. <laughs> but um, you know, we we're in college. It's kind of like who's got any money? You know, no well, I had the money, and I shared it with all the boys. We had a good time, and we went on to finish eight and three that year. And uh, we would have went to the Rose Bowl. I went over and played in the Hula Bowl. Yeah, I went and played in the Senior Bowl, and that was done. And it was on to baseball. So that's yeah. a quick synopsis of my well, journey through Michigan State. Well, I have so many memories as well, and I'll share. Uh, well, two. Let me go back to Dale Rogers real quick. We had a tradition of the night before the game. We all stayed at home games now. We would stay at the Kellogg Center. They'd have the uh, they had those rolls, the pecan rolls, 
mm-hmm. and the and they had a cheese soup, some kind of. I remember it, it was iconic. Beer cheese soup, yeah. Yeah, we'd go watch a movie, one of these games. Some brilliant mind, I don't know, had Texas. Te- Texas, you know, I'm going with this. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we start watching this movie, and we get about. 10 minutes into this, and as soon as that first chainsaw revved up, man, and started cutting flesh, <laughs> Dale flipped the light on and goes, man, this is not going to help us win tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we loved Remember it. that? Yeah, we were going nuts. We loved it. We were, everybody's running around going, ring, ring. <laughs> I got <laughs> chainsaw in my garage right now. Love it, it. Did, it didn't last, man. Yeah. So that was the number one. Number two, I'll never forget going to the big house and beating Michigan 24-15, uh, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And you had a big game. I actually had a 57-yard field goal down there. I remember a big bomb, and we won. I remember the feeling after the game, sitting in that shitty locker room in Ann Arbor in the big house and just understanding what that you know, what the trophy meant, the bond. Like that bond, man, of having accomplished something. And we're, by the way, uh, Gibby, let's talk about that, right? Because it is an iconic rivalry. Everybody wants to talk about Ohio State and Michigan, and that's fine. I get it. Indiana, Purdue, and Florida, Florida State, and all that. But I'm telling you, Michigan, Michigan State's a hell of a rivalry. So I'll be up there, brother, on Saturday watching. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, they're both 7 0. It's a great lead up to yeah. the game. That's why we compete. I really like Mel Tucker and what he's done at Michigan State. What do you like about him? Well, I've gotten to know Mel very well. I've gotten to know him from being one of the boys with you and I on the golf course to watching him um, with his practices to watching him on the sideline. You know, what I kind of look for, who competes? You know, you, you always talk about tools. Can he do this? Can he do that? Can he run? Does he like to hit? Is he smart? I like to see what he does when things get sticky. When the pressure comes on, if you study people in competition, when it starts, when it's when it progresses, and then when it gets going, the game gets going really fast. Those are the guys that I like, and I think Mel Tucker's pretty good. He's brought what forty-one transfers into Michigan State. That's amazing, yeah. and he holds these kids accountable. You know, in baseball, when you're coaching or you're playing, you don't get a lot of, I mean, if you think of a football practice, okay, you're in there at seven on seven, let's say, or you're playing scout team against first D. They do a play and there's 15 to 20 coaches on the, on the field. Yeah. Sad hut, the play goes, and then all of a sudden the whistle goes and you got 15 to 20 coaches in everybody's ass. They are pushing for perfection and you're the kicker, you know, we're practicing onside kicks or, or, you know, if you, you, you're not quick enough or the holder didn't put the laces. I mean, there's all these little finite points of any sport that I've ever played, anything that I've never done in life. Yeah. You can not give a shit. You can just cruise through and say, well, you know, we'll do it right in the game. It doesn't work that way. I got news for you, pal. But I like the way that Mel does that. And those kids, he rides them, but he's also established why he rides them before he does it because he wants their expectations to be higher. Yeah. You can't have low expectations. You got to want to be, you just can't want to make it to the big leagues. You just can't want to make it to the NFL. 
just can't want to play a play in for Michigan State University. You got to want to do it when it counts. That's the cool thing that I think that he really tries to instill in these kids. You know, so many things can go wrong. You can have you can miss three kicks, right? Yes, I but, have. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. You go over there and you're pouting, and now all of a sudden you got a chance to win the game. So yeah. you're like you have to have a reset. It's like your computer, if it gets corrupted, you better have what they call endpoint protection. Because what they do is they take your computer back to when it wasn't corrupted, start it back up, and then they reestablish. And you have to do that as a person in life. You have to do that as a football player, as a baseball player, as a parent, yeah. as a husband, as a friend. You're going to bomb stuff. But you were talking about with that feeling that you had when we beat Michigan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Think about how it felt. I mean, beyond visually going back and looking at it, the important thing is, is how do you feel after any given moment? If you're feeling crappy, replace it with something when you felt good. So I would suggest that if I struck out with the bases loaded and uh, I'm walking back to the dugout, I might say, oh, you stink, Kirk, to myself. It's called self-talk. But as soon as I hear myself say that, I go, oh, that's not like me. I usually do better in those situations. Mm -hmm. Give me another chance. I'm visually ready. Then I think about that time when we were in Michigan. We were standing on the field with 25 seconds left, and Eddie Smith, our quarterback, he wasn't very big, remember? No. We called him the worm. The worm. Boy, he could throw the rock. And the other thing is he could control the huddle. Yeah. I remember them big linemen, they'd be bitching at each other inside. And he'd go, you guys shut the F up. This is my damn huddle. I'll tell you when you talk. Now listen up. <laughs> I used to throw three base pass, L.A. special. That was to me. That was the one I'd go down over the middle. And he, just a great leader. Yeah. Great leader and everybody respected him and everybody respected each other. So yeah, that's kind of how I use the great moments of my life. I try and be productive. I try and be positive when I'm coaching or mentoring people because the negativity will tear you up. And if you want a predetermined failure, go ahead because you're going to fail. And you can also dream the other way in predetermined success and have a picture and a feel inside your body how it feels before you accomplish it. And that's that's fun stuff. Now, you you may do it a thousand times. It may fail. Yeah. I'm still staying on the positive figure. I'm still, in, I'm still pushing the positive feeling inside me because it's a lot more fun that way than yes. just kicking your, kicking your own ass. One of the things I remember about you, Kirk, was when we lost, how pissed off you got, how devastated it was to you. And I always thought to myself, man, this game means something to Kirk Gibson, you know, to my teammate Gibby, because he's not just sitting there like it didn't matter. It, it mattered to you. And to your earlier point about being invested, right, with your emotions, not only when you're winning, but also when you're losing and learning from that and saying, man, this is so such a shitty feeling. At least let's not kill ourselves. Let's make sure we're taking care of our individual thing. And I always felt like you were full speed, you know, in life. Oh. I, you know, you may have... You may have disagreed academically. I remember you sharing a couple of things about probably could have done a little bit better in the classroom, right? No doubt. But I, I mean, I majored in eligibility. I, I'm, I'm not proud yeah. to say that, but I got I did what I had to do Yeah. to get ready. And, you know, as far as the losses, it did hurt me. It, I, I just, again, I don't like the fact that we got outplayed 
or we either made a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, people, uh, when I was with the Dodgers the first year, I had been in Detroit with the Sparky Anderson. He was a very structured manager, and he would lay it out on the board. That's what we're going to do. You don't want to screwing around. Like, you'd pit, we'd be practicing butt plays, somebody throwing in the right field corner. It was not funny to him, okay? Well, when I went to L.A., it was just the exact opposite. We were in the clubhouse. We'd have our pre-practice meetings. Guys were screwing around. They had clowns jumping out of the trunks. They'd go through what we were going to do. We'd get on the field. Pedro Guerrero picks one up, throws it down the right field line. Everybody laughed. I'm thinking, damn, what's so damn funny about that? That's not funny. It wasn't funny. And then we had our first game, and Jesse Orozco, a pitcher, of course, who just screwed around like the kickers do during practice, he put eye black in my hat. And I was out there running, and I took my hat off, and I looked. I had black all over my uh, eye black all over my arm, and I just I knew it would happen. So I was steaming off the field, and I saw Tommy Lasorda. He said, you go get the MFR that put the eye black in my hat. We're going to have a talk. Everybody's screwing around. I told him, this is like the seventh game of the World Series to me. We were playing the our first spring game against the Japanese All-Star game. He said, oh, come on, man. They're just trying to have fun. I go, winning is fun. Don't tell me. That. I, I'm not here to have fun. I want to win. That was fun to me. Now, you think about how much better the jokes are when you win. Oh. No question. And, and you know, I just could see we were going in the wrong direction. I could see that some of the things that I had watched in the L.A. Dodgers the two years before I came there, we were practicing those bad habits again. And I stood up and I just said, hey, look, you know, I don't think I came to the wrong place. I, the Dodgers have great tradition. They have great resources. They have great players. We have great managers and coaches. What are we doing? Let's don't let it slip away. You know, there's opportunity here. And I'm just saying, I'll come a little bit your way and loosen up. But when we're getting ready to play, let's pay attention. Let's execute it against nobody for sure. Yeah. When we'll measure ourselves when we get in the game, my, my concept is let's pressure these other guys. Let's just, you're winning, you're losing. It don't matter. Just keep them coming. You don't ever give in. You know, it's like you got that little chip shot. You got the one guy, it's always just about getting that ball You're right as you kick it, Morton. You feel it just a little bit. It's like, that's the way I believe. You don't you don't let off. You just let them know, I'll be back the next kick. I'll be back the next at bat. And uh, I said, that's you have to dedicate yourself, and we have to do it as a team. How was the response after you stood up and said, I, I don't think I'm at the wrong team here? What was the response of the teammates? What was the response of the manager? Because it wouldn't have happened in Detroit under Sparky, yeah. let's face it. Yeah, well, actually, Tommy, called. I left. I mean, he wouldn't go I, He wouldn't go get the guy who did it, so I left that game. Went home, and I got a call at 5.30 in the morning. Kirk, I mean, I only known this guy like seven days, ten days, Tom Lasorda. Hey, Tom Lacerda. Yeah, how you doing, Tommy? Uh, would Would you care to come over and to my room? I'd like to talk to you before we go to practice. Yeah, sure. I'll be right over there. So I went over there. It was you know, 5.45 in the morning. He gave me this big speech about how they everybody was trying to make you feel welcome. They were just trying to have fun. They didn't mean to insult you. They didn't know you. You know, I wasn't going to bring the guy over because I thought that you might, you would seem like you were really mad and, and uh, you know, we have media here. We try and control the media. I never forget, they in their club, in their little spring train facility, they had a bar for the media. 
Nobody has a buyer for the media, but the Dodgers did. <laughs> and they, they said, they, you know, we kind of want to control and positive things coming out of here. So he said, this, he talked to me for 20 minutes. I never said a word. He says, so what do you think? And I just sat there. He goes, well, come on. Don't you have anything to say? I, I said, no. He says, well, let's just say that there's a family issue and that everything's good. And you came back. I said, no, I won't do that. He goes, oh, come on. I said, no, we're going to have a team meeting. I'll speak today. And uh, I just got to say it, Tommy. It's just who I am. And uh, it's going to go off one way or the other. So when I got up there, I told them that where I was coming from. I told them that I was the best teammate they ever had, I promise. I told the pitchers, if you're, you got to hit somebody and you're scared, you hit them, you run to left field, I'll be on my way in, I'll protect you. And, you know, anything will protect each Hello. other. Oh, yeah, I was I was like warfare. I mean, well, you were an intense dude. You still are. Yeah. And, uh, and so then uh, at the end, I said, anybody got a problem with anything I said? I said, I will sacrifice. I will take everybody on right now. I'll get four or five of you. You'll get finally get me. But just to show you, I will sacrifice to show you guys that I'm here for you. We're here for each other. And, uh, you know, we went out and the rest is kind of history. We, we ended up beating the Oakland A's in the World Series that year. We were heavy underdogs. We also beat the amazing, the mighty Mets yeah. in the playoffs. And that was what I did was a small part of the whole sum of all the pieces because Oral Hershiser had a great year. Mike Sosha, Mike Marshall, Josh. I mean, these guys, and everybody, you know, it's funny because everybody doesn't need to have mucho numbers. You can throw all these things in the salad bowl and say, you know, the lettuce is good, the tomatoes are good, the cheese, I like cheese in there, mm -hmm. I like sesame seeds, I like, you know, whatever you like, okay? You look in there and you got all these good ingredients in there, you go, this is going to be really good. Then you stir it up and you eat it, you go, well, this is really shitty. Or you go, this is really good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do. It's like, but you got to do that by understanding who is Morton Anderson, where is he from? Who is Eddie Smith? Got to do a deep dive. Who is who is Mel Land? Uh, who was Tommy Graves when we were there? You got to understand, and you know you got to challenge each other. You got to have fun with each other. You got to hate on each other. You got to love on each other. Yeah. It's just what it's all about. Because yeah. in that way, you don't get offended because you know that they're behind you, and you know what you're all committed to. And you know what? It's just plain old fun when you're kicking the other team's ass. That's it's yeah. always been that way. And, you know, that's not to say I, – I remember one time Eugene Bird, who was our wide receiver, we were running a drill. And he was loafing, and he was running against me, and he was just letting me beat him. And on the last drill, I ran back, forth, back, forth, and then on my final turn, I just took a straight left turn and smoked him. I just ran him over. And we had a hell of a, hell of a fight going on there for about a couple of minutes. We were scrambling around. I said, man – well, I can't tell you exactly what I said, but you know, it's like you can say what I gotta hustle. Get your fucking ass going. Let's go. We gotta win. I should have probably shouldn't have said that. You can hit the beat button. But um that's just so the way I've been. And you know, there's had to been people like Eddie and people that tell me, man, get man, enough. You gotta that's too far. So if I, I look back. Yeah, yeah. Well, in baseball that was Alan Trammell. Uh, okay. Yeah, he 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 told me one day that I went down there and I crushed uh, Ozzie Gian from uh, Chicago, and I thought he did something earlier to one of our guys, and I I was bragging all the way in, 
And Trams, he said, I, I love you, man, but you're you're wrong. You owe the guy an apology. So that's the risks. You go too far one way, sometimes doesn't work out on the other end, but that's what friends are for. And you have yeah. to learn to be accountable for mistakes you make. I have to ask you about the play and, and have your feeling on it because everybody's talked about it, rehashed it. But the home run you hit there in, in 1988 against Eckersley, you had a hell of a year. I mean, you won the National League MVP that season with the Dodgers and you were in the prime of your career, Kurt. But you get hurt, you know, after making a, a really amazing defensive play in the NLCS. And it was unlikely, really, that you were going to play at all. And then you get the call to pinch hit from Tommy Lasorda. I mean, two outs, bottom of the ninth. He got the call. Yeah, he got the call. Yeah, we called Tell him. Me, you take it, man. Take it. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, it was coming down to it. Uh, Jose Canseco hit a grand slam in the first inning against us in game one. We were down 4 nothing. We called back. Yeah, I was hurt, like you said. I mean, I could barely walk. I had four injections in my left knee and my right knee. Yeah, I was just hurting. And, you know, in football, sometimes you're hurt, but you got to do it, you know, once a week. It's on Sunday or it's on Saturday. You know, they'd inject you. you know, there's a way you could tape a broken finger together, you know. Baseball is just not like that, you know. It's like you got a broken finger. It's hard to swing the bat. My my hamstrings both were screwed up. I really I got up that morning and I ran ran across my living room floor and I thought, oh man, I said I don't know if I can deal with this because I always had the mentality that I could deal with anything. You know, it's like just overcome it. But um, that didn't work that day. So I went and they gave me some injections in both sides of both legs and I was just sitting there and I didn't think I'd going to be able to play. But you know, as the game went on, it's four nothing. It's four one. It's four two. It's four three. We're in the bottom of the eighth inning. Now we're in the top of the ninth, and I can just see we're at the bottom of the order. And they got Mike Davis, Dave Anderson, who hit three home runs in his whole career, and me on the bench. And I was in the training room the whole game, kind of icing on and off. And um, Ben Scully, the great announcer, I kept panning the dugout. There's no Kirk Gibson tonight. No Kirk Gibson. He will not be playing tonight. And it's really bugged me. And so he did it going to the bottom of the ninth. And I was like, my ass. I told Mitch Poole, our clubhouse, why I go, go get the tee and set it up. I put a pair of sandies on, a jock strap, and my uniform over top, but with the Michigan Big Game Hunters t-shirt underneath. Took a couple swings, and I, then I, because I'd just taken the ice off my knees, I said, go get Tommy. And, and so I send this bat boy down there. He's going, Mr. Lasorda, Mr. Lasorda. And Tommy's going, God damn it, Mitch, can't you see I'm managing a game? He's, he's <laughs> like, oh, but it's Gibby. He goes, I don't go. Oh, it's Gibby. And he comes running up the, the runway, and I said, hit Davis eighth, I'll hit ninth. He goes, you sure? I go, well, if you want me to do it, if you believe in me. And he says, you stay up here. He wanted me to stay in there because he didn't want me to be in the dugout Think for the A's would think that I had a chance to hit because all reports were that I didn't and I pretty much was not in the dugout the whole game. And, you know, sure enough, it, I'd been sitting in there thinking and dreaming about good things that had happened to me in my life. And we had a scouting report, uh, which... I still have. I have two copies. One was my copy, and the other one was the scout who realized it's copy, Mel Didier. He's just passed away. It says right in there, three, two backdoor slider to left-handed hitters if he's in some shit. So he, but he said it like this, Padna, as sure as I'm standing here breathing, you going to see a three, two backdoor slider if he's got pressure on him. 
as sure as I'm standing here breathing, you're going to see it. So I got up there to the plate, and I'd kind of programmed my mind when I got out in the on-deck circle, the crowd would go nuts, that I wouldn't hurt. And then uh, I had the 3-2 backdoor slider, so he got me down 0-2, 1-2, 2-2, 3-2. He got the 3-2, and as soon as he came set, I called timeout. I, I stepped out, and I said, partner, sure as you're standing here breathing, you're going to see that 3-2 backdoor slider. And uh, I did. It's a backdoor slider and some ugly ass swing and out of the park a win. It's it's still incredible to believe right now. You know, Mort, I I, I mean, you had had kicks before where you were going bad in there and somehow you just got the toe on it and the son of a bitch curved in. Yep. You couldn't believe it. Yeah. There's other times when you hit it perfect and it doesn't you know, somebody catches it or something happens. Yeah. That was just one of those moments, you know, I like, why me? I don't know. But as soon as I hit that ball, I was an ugly one-handed swing. It reached uh, forward a little bit, right, Doug? It, well, it was, not, it was a backdoor slider. Like, he'd thrown me fastballs. I only fouled them off. The pitcher, Dennis Eckersley, outsmarted himself. Great competitor, great guy. I mean, it's been great since it happened. You know, he went on to the Hall of Fame. Bless his heart. And, uh, you know, I got to have that moment. I also hit a home run off Goose Gossage in 1984 yeah. uh, in uh, late in the game as well. So, you Any know. questions? Did you talk to Eckersley after? First of all, what were you thinking running around the bases and there was pandemonium? And then did you have a conversation at all with Eckersley now? Yeah. Well, I was thinking, because I told my parents a while ago, a while before that, my there's things written in the paper when I left Detroit, good riddance, you know, two pages. Good riddance. Wow. All these comments, and that was a disgrace. And mind you, that was after we got the players got colluded against, and I was awarded free agency, automatic free agency, and the Dodgers signed me. So I caught a lot of crap for that, but I mean, I was merely, you know, doing what anybody had the right to do. And Peter O'Malley, the owner of the Dodgers, came after me. And, um, you know, uh, I came over there, and when I hit that home run, I told my parents, you just don't have to say anything. We're going to have our moment, and I'm going to do it right. We'll have our day. And then as soon as I got put my arm up, I remember it's our day. And I could just felt so good for my parents, for the people who supported me, for the fans, my teammates. I mean, you know, I, I see it on TV all the time. I'm not trying to, but it it's just there. is on there a lot. And, you know, at the time, to be quite honest with you, I didn't realize – what I had done. Didn't realize what part in baseball history that was. Yeah. Many years later, 35 some years later, I do. And it's been incredible. And it's the reason why when you get frustrated, anybody that's listening, you believe in something. I believed in myself. I believe that I, my teammates wanted me to go up there and give it a try. And, yeah. you know, kind of true to my form, I did it. And the damn thing went out. <laughs> the damn thing went out. And, uh, it's uh, it's incredible. It instills a great feeling inside of me to this day. And it's almost makes me shy and very humbled to have to wow. talk about it these days. Do you mind if we just spend a few moments talking about today's Dodgers, today's Tigers? And, and uh, the Dodgers had a, a hell of a series against the Braves, obviously, and they didn't quite get it done. But they're very talented. They've been good for a while. What What's your take on the Dodgers 2021? Yeah. Um, really, they couldn't sustain certain things that were some in their control, some out of their control. 
Yeah. Um, you know, Trevor Bauer's situation was terrible. Kershaw just on the pitching in alone. Um, Max Scherzer in that last game. That's pretty tough to overcome. They do have a lot of depth. They almost made it through. The other thing is they won it last year. And oh, yeah. both times that we won the World Series. The next year, we I thought we were every bit as good or better. For some reason, we just didn't get the breaks, you know. We were right there, but I thought we were a better team. We didn't. Success is tough. It yeah. really is. You know, do you let your arm down, your your guard down just a little bit? Maybe, you know. But the other guys are shooting for you. You're the world champs. You know, success, it can go way, way the wrong way. We played hard. We were good. But we couldn't pull it off. It's really, yeah. really a tough thing to do. And you realize what you've accomplished yeah. when you don't accomplish it the following years. What do, what do you think about uh, the Tigers hiring A.J. Hinch after his involvement with the Astros? And I mean, we heard a bunch about the cheating scandal. Is that a good hire? Uh, A.J. was in Arizona. I was there. Um, he became the manager of Arizona. I was his bench coach. They fired him. They hired me. And then I got fired. And, you know, we here we come full circle again. Yeah. You know, the whole cheating thing, I mean, let's be honest. People have cheated. Depending on your definition, there's been a lot of cheating that's gone on from cards to football to baseball in classes. People cheat. Okay. Now, you want to call it cheat or you want to call being resourceful. And there's different opinions and different definitions about cheating. I mean, is cheating unacceptable or is it acceptable? Because I want to hear about, well, you're over the line there. You used a video camera. You're over the line. Okay, I can tell you that Veda Pinson, who's our first base coach, knew what the pitcher was going to throw. I won't tell you how, but he saw it with his eyes. When the pitcher went in his windup, he relayed it over to the third base coach, and my third base coach relayed it back to me while he's in his windup. Is that cheating? It wasn't video, but it was, my coach was watching him. He could see what he was going to do. Sometimes they can look in and see the signs from the catcher. If I'm on second base and, you know, the catcher's got his fingers one, 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 or five, or pick, or five, one, which would would be a, a pick off, you know, if I, he's showing me, he's not disguising them to me, and my hitter wants to know him, I'm going to tell him sure. either what the pitch is or I'm going to relay where the location is. Sure. They've been doing it forever, okay? So, I mean, cheating – utilizing what's given to you. Is it over the line? You know, we all can have different opinions about, about that. But see, I took it as the other team. I heard somebody pounding on a, on a garbage drum in there. Partly my responsibility to hear that and get them. That's part of the game too. In, foot, in the National Football League, they can't drive the quarterback into the ground, right? No. Did they do it? <laughs> yes. Are you damn right they do it. They do it early in the game and they drive him into the ground even though they can't do it, well, I'll take my 15-yard penalty. When that quarterback goes back there, I'll guarantee you, if you got some guy that smokes you as a kicker. Oh, it's it's happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the next time he's on that outside, there's some peekaboo going on. All the time, man. Now, is that cheating? That's not that's outside the rules. I mean, like like at yeah. second base, when I came in the, up in the, in the league, you could roll block a guy at second. Mm-hmm. And those guys, they wouldn't stand in there. Now you couldn't, then you couldn't roll block them. Now you can't even go in there at all. Yeah. You know what? I'd say, I'd, I'd tell them, I'd tell Cal Ripken, hey, you catch that ball, you step off that base. I don't care what the rule is. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to get your ass. 
Okay, now, is it worth it to set up the rest of the this, this series and maybe get a guy who steps off the bag and doesn't complete it on play? You're damn right it is. So, you know, A.J. Hinch, uh, did he know about it? I think he did, yeah. Did it go too far? Well, the league says that he did. He paid his penalty, but he's very bright. He's uh, has great psychology, great relationship builder, and they had a great improvement this year. So A.J. is a competitor. He wants to win. I don't know if I really answered the cheating question, but I think I did it. It's fine. You, you gave perspective to it. I mean, everybody think about it. You're the guy. You know, what's cheating, sure. what's resourceful? Yeah. And if you get caught, you pay the piper just like anything else. And if you want to be accountable for that, that's your deal. Gabby, you were a successful manager, which I really kind of admired because I can totally see you as a manager, and you were with the Diamondbacks. But growing up as a player in the 70s and then playing, of course, in the major leagues for a long time, give me your perspective on the player today versus what it was when you played as a manager. Now, put your coaching hat on, the managing hat on, right, and say yeah. How has that modern-day player changed? And how is anything you would change about the game of baseball today to make it more interesting? It's either home run or strikeout. I mean, is there changes needed? Give me a perspective on on the modern-day player, and then what would you do to change the game? See, I think that baseball is like playing chess. It takes a long time. Um, you got to think it out. Sometimes you can see the paint drying on the walls. Yes. I do this, you do that, I do this. It's just kind of it's really point counterpoint it's i move you move and i'm yeah. trying to lead you into a trap you get you sniff it out you know what i mean it's really a thinking man's game is it slow at times it can be like how they can change the game is enforce what they change okay beginning of this year we had all this talk about oh you get 12 seconds or 15 seconds between pitches or whatever well the hitter steps out for 35 seconds number one or the pitcher is walking around the mound but all the times to enforce this right now, you got these playoff games. Um, you know, there's a minute, 30 seconds in between pitches on some pitches. Yeah. And so they say, well, it's the playoffs. But see, getting back to my point earlier, I'm saying, yeah, it's the playoffs. You get your 15 seconds. And then after that, it's strike one. The pitcher mm. doesn't throw it quick enough. It's ball one. And you just get the line moving. First of all, if you hold them to it, they'll change and they'll speed up. But they don't want to do it because... Everybody thinks baseball is such a slow game, but it really isn't. If you got 30 seconds or 15 seconds to think about something, or you got 30 seconds, it's a big difference. It makes the game way slower. So I think it makes the game better to make them at the pace. You make the rules, that's fine. It's always, it's look, at they, they had the rules where you had to completely stop before you went home play. Guys mm-hmm. are going like this all the time. The umpires, I feel sorry for them. They have to enforce it to like the first month of the season, then they let it go. But I watch these guys a minute 30 between pitches. I'm like, get in the box. I, yeah. I, I, get, I get the feeling, okay? But mind you, if I was on the other team, I'd be saying, get in the box! I mean, we used to chirp out like that, you know, like, get in there and take your abuse. <laughs> but, um, you know, in baseball, you can't run over the – Catcher, if he's blocking home play, you can't get the guy at second base. I just think context part of it. You know, they box. You know the risk. All the sure. hits that I took or initiated probably were not good for me at this point in my life. But at that point, it was a choice. Is what we were taught. If you want to use it, use it. I enjoyed it. But, um, you know, yeah. overall, I think baseball does a pretty good job 
of regulating their stuff. They could always be better like everybody else. And, uh, you know, Sparky Anderson asked me one day out of the clear blue, hey, where's Babe Ruth? I said, what do you mean, where's Babe Ruth? He's he's passed. He says, exactly. And the game went on. When you leave, the game goes on. When I leave, the game goes on. When the fans leave, we got no game. So, you know, you, you have to market and you have to do things for the fans. I believe what Sparky said is true. And uh, I think they do probably do a better job of that. Um, we were kind of rough and gruff. Uh, they didn't have the media and the television coverage the way it did. They did yeah. back when we played. But, you know, it's it's really, it's a great play. Now, I guarantee you when people go to the go to the baseball game, they watch the ball basically all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, like when I do my games on TV, I always got a camera or two over here. Because there's, you ever wonder why a guy was just out or why he's just safe? That's what I look for because we're getting back to that. Details. Detail. Um, you know, is, is your field goal going to matter or isn't it? You know, if, they, if we didn't pay attention to detail and they got an extra, you know, a two-point conversion out of it or an extra, you know, made it a, a three-score deal, yeah. you're screwed. So, you know, all these competitions, all these games, they all have choices that you can make to yeah. get, put yourself in a position to win. I talk about, you know, when I talk to the young guys that are trying to come up and kick, I talk about the moment of truth. And every sport has it. Baseball has the moment of truth. For a kicker, the moment of truth is when the plant foot hits the ground. You're either right or wrong. You're not going to be able to move that plant foot. That's the moment of truth. It's going to be revealed really quickly if you're in the right spot. I would imagine for a baseball player, it would be when you step in that box and the ball's coming and you, you start to initiate the swing. Would that be the moment or for a pitcher when he steps down on the mound and throws? He's either right or wrong. Well, I, I'll tell you where I'd say the moment of truth is. The moment of truth is when I'm ready. You're talking about the ready position. When you're ready to kick the ball is when yeah. that foot goes down. Correct. When I'm ready to swing at that pitch. Correct. It's kind of the same thing. Where does my foot go down? Where are my hands? Yeah. Um, you know, do I do I have them wrapped around my head? Are they too low? I don't care where you start. You can start here. You can start here. I mean, Julio Franco, he'd be like like this, but he can put the bat on the ball. Everybody does different things. But, you know, boom, foot goes yeah. down. You're ready. If you're ready too early, ready too late, it just throws everything off. So I, I'm trying to draw analogies what people can do, but there are certain basics that if you don't do it, you're going to make it really hard to – the the non-nego- I say non-negotiable. There's that non-negotiable aspects to our skill. If we don't do those things, you know, kickers are different. You got 10,000 oh, yeah. guys that can do it. Yeah, I know we're different. Oh, yeah. I'm talking physically now. You got 10,000 guys out there who can put on a strap on a helmet and kick the ball 80 yards. But when the lights come on at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, you got maybe 15 guys at the highest level. Yeah. You know. Well, you tell me something. The biggest what was the biggest pressure kick you ever had? So I'm going to – let me preface it by saying I don't like the word pressure, Gibby, and here's why. Pressure only happens when your skill set doesn't match the task. <laughs> I do. That's a, That's why you're so good. You wouldn't allow yourself to think that way. Right. But, but you but, I mean, truth a be big kick, A big kick like the home run you had was the NFC Championship game. I mean, to go to the Super Bowl in overtime against the Vikings, a 38-yarder from the left half in, in the Metrodome. You've done that so many times. But, yeah, so, I mean, you. the thing about it is, is in my mind, when those moments come up, you can feel that 
I don't want to say doubt, but that holy shit moment wanting to creep into your personality. That's when you, again, you got to think that's, you got to corral that. You can't let that go. That's right. You, you, that's when you, that's when you start. Harness. You, Harness. You, that's when you know that this one's true. You, you can see it going through the uprights. Yeah. You can't see it. There are people that say, oh, I don't want to fail here. I mean, there's a lot of people that won't put themselves in those positions because they predetermined failure it's distasteful it's distasteful man people are not built to to deal with the world to suck that's why professional ball players that can do it at the highest level they're just built differently did you visualize gibby did you do visualization as i I did affirmations through visualization yeah Yeah. and when good things happen i affirmed like um we used to have a saying anytime you affirm a good feeling from a good moment, I think it's powerful individually for a team, for an organization, for a fan base, you know, like, hell yeah, when shit's going good, imprint that in your souls. Okay. This is who we are. Yeah. This is what we do. If you don't do it, it's not like you and you're well prepared for the next time. Um, I definitely um, visualize and still do to this day uh, when things are, Maybe wanting to, you know, I have Parkinson's disease now, as you know, and um, you know it's it's a little different deal to to work with. In their days, I mean, I could easily go over there in that corner, turn the lights out, and sit and let it get me. But you got to be proactive, and part of the way that you be proactive not only with yourself is to help others, because it feels yeah. so good to help others. And I know that you have your great tournament down there. We just, had it. Yeah, we just had it. We missed you guys. Yeah. yeah. We had a great time. Um, that makes you feel good. I mean, it's it's a lot of work um, by a lot of people, a lot of coordination. You don't have to do it, but you do it because you love that feel. Yes. And, um, you know, those are the things that you learn. Like my home run that I hit and some of the good things that I've done, and I've been blessed with four healthy children and a wonderful wife, and I got a grandkid now. Like, Man, how could you not feel like you got to give back? I, right. I, I, it's amazing um, that, um, you know, I assume people are close within their families. But you know what? It's not, it's not the case. So, you know, it's like, how can we help turn them on to make that happen? Because, you know, in my life, family is it's money that is that is the, oh yeah that is the money right there we had so much fun and of course my youngest is 27 and my oldest is 46 and um they just bury me they 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 love getting i mean i you know, i tell them you know it's mutual you know, yeah. i'm gonna get back at you when <laughs> when i'm gonna be sitting out my deer blind at my ranch and you're gonna be wiping my rear end so you better watch it straight <laughs> out well, you know, Gibby, when when I heard that you uh, went, that you had Parkinson's, I I just thought to myself, I can't think of a guy tougher, more tenacious, and more stubborn to take this thing on. And how I know it's changed your life a little bit, but really, it seems like you're blazing through it now. I'm not with you every day and every minute of it, so I'm sure your your family would say something different, maybe. But how's it? Number one, how's it going? How's it changed your life, Gibby? And it seems to me that it has almost refocused you to be even more to just to bring that competitive fire to it. Yeah. It's a, it's a big opponent. It's a big task. Yeah. First thing you got to realize it's not a death sentence and you can have 
happy, productive days. Uh, it does progress. I try and find ways to slow it down. And I go to a guy in Williamson, Michigan, um, where I activate my nervous system. It's a great workout. From your toes to your head, you activate your nerves. And, you know, if you watch somebody walking down the road and maybe you got a stiff back or a stiff neck or you've you, you get a little out of cockeyed or whatever. This With this exercise, you put yourself in proper configuration, proper posture. Then you, you then you ignite these these nerves and it, it comes back together. You know, you, you put a pad between your knees and your ankles and you squeeze with that. Then you, you get out here and you get that chest out. You pull in there. Just it just it's an amazing feeling it, because if you don't do physical therapy, you don't do cognition therapy it's going to slow you way down but if you it, this is my opinion okay when you take medicine i try and replace medicine with movement, movement. yeah okay because medicine has side effects yes so you you know and when you're taking levodopa or dopamine basically oral dopamine one of the side effects is dyskinesia when you start shaking i'm pretty good right now but your hands, you just, you know, it goes, it's, you know, it's embarrassing. You'll see a lot of people with Parkinson's with their hands in their pockets. They try and yes. stop the hand. But um, when you do the movements, you don't, you don't have to take as much medicine. And then you can put off some of those side effects, uh, you know, that come from the medicine. But, yeah, hey, look at, you know, when it all happened, the Spartys came out of the woodwork, as you know, my friends, my family. So many people oh, yeah. and fans around, around, really around the world. I've gotten hooked up with uh, Cure Parks Trust in London, Helen Matthews, and some of the things that they do differently in different countries to try and help people. But it, it's, it makes me feel better that I try and help others than it does to just sit and be depressed. It's a very depressing disease if you allow it to, but it all starts here every day. It's right Engaged. there. So yeah. You used it. When you kicked, I yeah. used it when I played. I used it to fight Parky. Yeah. Um, Proactive. You can yeah. accomplish it if you choose to. That's right. And, 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 and uh, you know, nobody said anything going to be easy, but um, right. so what, right? So what? We play golf together. I sit in the cart and you run from shot to shot. <laughs> and that's the truth. I can if, still if run. Anybody out there listening, Gibby runs from shot to shot for 18 holes. All right. Not all the uh, time. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Well, you talk about being proactive. That's yeah. engaging and being proactive in, in the fight against that, that disease. Yeah. They, um, yeah. It's getting cold in Michigan now, so we're getting, you know, the highs are in the 40s or whatever. Golf yeah. courses are barely open, but I'm going to head out there tomorrow. I just got done. Like Come down here, buddy. Come to Georgia. I, I'll take well, care of you. Yeah, I don't want it to be too nice, but then I'm going to go out in the woods for <laughs> – Another three or four days. I want to get okay. you up here for that gig. All right. All right. No problem. We, we, we you know, I got, we got all the games. We got the ping pong. We got the pool. We got well, the ping pong. We know who won that. I mean, if you think you can beat me at pool, well, let's give it a rip for sure. Well, we're going to no definitely we're, we're not think. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you know what I do? It's I crazy. It. I was just in uh, Pierre, South Dakota. Yeah. And, you know, we were doing some friendly wagering. And I was okay. down considerable amounts, but I don't quit. I you you we're playing the five in the morning. We have to <laughs> because I just will not quit. They go, you're a grinder. I'm like one more. They go, okay, one more. I go three out of five. 
says one more three out of five. Adjusting the game as we go. I got you. Yeah, yeah. you got to keep the pressure on, man. Oh. You can't give it. Hey, I'm not going to take too much more of your time, Gibby, but I do have a couple of names I want to throw at you. And when I th- say these names, whatever comes to your mind, into your mind uh, when I say the names, I want to get your opinion on these guys because you talked in the beginning about loving each other and being a, you know being a family and being around guys that you do something together, you know, and it's hard to describe unless you've been in that environment. And you certainly you spend decades in that environment, and you've had so many guys and coaches in your life, and you've affected so many people. I want you to know that, including myself, by your just your indelible fighting spirit. I mean that sincerely. So you talked about Sparky Anderson just briefly, but just give me your thoughts on Sparky. It can be a word, a sentence, anything. He was a master. Uh, uh, don't get don't get worried here. I got a couple things. <laughs> I'm not worried. Uh, Sparky was. He taught me how to play the game. He taught me how to be a professional. And it says uh, the players make the manager. It's never the other way, Sparky. Uh, I can't get this. Don't don't take stuff. This right here, he wrote me after I retired. What happened to those 17 years? I can remember a feisty young man coming to our home 17 years ago who turned out to have quite a career. I think being around you, I learned that all people who are willing to stand up, be counted, have a chance to be successful. I think you have shown a lot of young players that if they have a little gumption, they certainly can be better. I want to take the time to tell you that I thank you for all the hard years, for the respect you always showed me. Ultimate respect, that guy. He oh. he, he taught me the game. He was, you know, he awesome. in 1983, he told me that I was going to be a platoon designated hitter. And I, we, I went after him in his office. He ran out and said, you'll find out who the manager is. And he told me, when the Hall of Famers are throwing, I'll let you play. When the cake eaters are throwing, you'll be on the bench next to me learning how to play. So it's just what you'd want, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and he said, I'm going to bring you to your knees this year, son. You either get it or you'll go home and sit on mama's lap next year. Okay. I hit 227 that year. The next year we won the World Series. But I got my shit together because, he, you know, I mean, he brought me to my knees. And wow. we don't have time to talk about the things, but he made it hard on me. And I hit about 400 the last month to hit 227. So he's a very powerful influence. That is great. Great story. Hall of Famer. Great story, Gibby. Alan Trammell. Tram uh, most deservedly is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. My best buddy. Spend more time with him in the game than anybody that I ever played with. Met for lunch every day. Met in the weight room every day. Stayed after and had beers every day is the trustee of my trust to this day. I trust him so much. Uh, the one thing, Alan Trammell seems like the perfect guy, but he's a good shit starter, okay? Like, he's the guy, the guys were yelling <laughs> from the bench, he's standing right behind me. He's going, uh, they say, Kenny, they, you suck. And then all of a sudden, Kenny looks and Tram's uh, there, and there, and there they go. Gibby, you say one more word and you're out of here. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he can start some crap. Yeah. I love it. He, he was, That's a guy you want in the foxhole, man. Oh, yeah. What a competitor. And, you know, yeah. he's kind of the guy that you'd look at and you never think he was could be a great ball player. Wow. 
We had Trammell Whitaker for 20 years up the middle. It's never been done before. It'll never be done again. It's the greatest second base shortstop duo in the history of the game. That's incredible. And I played with that guy. Now, one other story about Tram. I got him in the snowmobile, and as good an athlete as he is, we were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. He fell off 10 times in the first day, okay? But we finally said, Tram, you know? We got him going. So we, for about the last 25 years, we go on these little trips. You know, we we used to ride, say, 2,000 miles in a week. Wow. Now we ride maybe 900, okay? You got to kind of keep tram in the middle, okay? So you got a leader, you got tram, and I'm usually behind him because you got to make sure he stays under control. Well, two years ago, we're cruising. It's snowing a little bit. And all of a sudden, there goes Tram. He's decided that he's a little frisky and he wants to leave for a while. We're cruising down the road at 65 miles an hour. The trail actually turns, and there's a when the plow pushes it off, it makes the bank, you know, four or five feet high. Didn't see the curve. Straight he goes. Up in the air he goes. Somersaults. The sled goes oh, this way. Alan Trammell flies 40 feet in the air, lands in six feet of snow. And I go up, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. And uh, I said, are you okay? Are you okay? He goes, oh, man, my leg hurts. And so he's laying there. I said, you sure you're okay? You feel anything else? Your neck, you know? He goes, I'll be all right. So he gets on the sled, and he rides another four hours. We're riding back to our truck. So the next day, we drive home about seven hours from Detroit. And I said, I, we got to get you to the doctor and make sure there's no broken bones in there. He's got a broken leg. This guy not only did the somersault, he falls, he breaks his leg. He rides four hours home. And he's got a broken leg. We go to spring training and guess who gets all the crap? Me. Hey, Gibby. Oh, so you broke Tram's leg, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Real nice. We were out in the uh, we were out in uh, the mountains, the gravelly mountains out west of Montana, and you have guides, and it's above the tree line, so you can't really tell where you're at. So the guides say, "Make sure you stay behind us." So we were going straight, and all of a sudden, we take a little veer around, and uh, because there was a big ravine there, it's probably about fifty feet down, and they had these frozen snow cornices off it. And so, sure enough, we get we. We stopped on the other side of it, and we're like, where's Tram? We have these communicators on it. I go, Tram, where are you at? He goes, oh, I'm catching up to you right now. He stopped to go to the bathroom. I turn around. He's coming right at us, launches off into the ravine. I hear him go, oh, shit, 11 foot of powder. He, there he goes. He's in there. We're talking to him. He's got nine lies, man, but the guy is, he's a riot, and uh, he's up. That's crazy. Great. Yeah. I think we just ended there. I mean, there, there's so many guys. Let me get. I'll do one more. This guy was always fun to watch. Fernando Valenzuela. Freddie, yeah. You remember you used to always look up and you have his eyes up in the air like yeah. that. Yeah. the screw what ball. What was that? It's just it was his whole thing. You know, he throws a screwball. Yeah. Uh, what a and nobody nobody like can throw those. So it's very, if you could throw a screwball, you're going to be very successful, but your arm's not going to last. Your shoulder's not going to last. Uh, Fernando's last for a while. Uh, I remember we played in a 22 inning game in uh, Houston one night. Fernando was our first baseman. He loved it. He could hit, he could suck some pops down too and have, we have a good time. But uh, him and Jesse Orozco were really good buddies. What a great competitor. 
he didn't give. Um, and uh, to this day, what a wonderful person. And boy, he's got some humor in the way he is. And uh, we could count on him every day. Well, one guy I could count on and we could count on was you, Gibby. We counted on each other, man. I, I look back. I got to tell you, I look back with just with, with so much joy on, on those four years at Michigan State. Uh, they were formative years for me, my freshman year, playing with you guys in that iconic team, winning the Big Ten, beating Michigan. I mean, it set me up for success. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it, well, it did because of the mentality of the collective beings on that football team. That, you, you were one of them. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Best, you were the one. You were the one. Best time yeah. in their lives. Now, I'm going to give you a name, and you got to promise me you'll answer it. Phil Hickey. Well, geez, the mentor, you know, mentors magnificus. Here's a guy who unselfishly has put himself in people's lives to help them, to assist them. A great Spartan, but who unselfishly gives of his knowledge and his passion, his love, his energy to help you elevate your life. Not at just your age, at your age, still, he's, he's an unbelievable. He's one of those he, guys. He, just don't know, how can people be so good? You know, we're just very blessed. We're very lucky to have Phil Hickey in our lives. That's all I can tell you, man. Yeah. And uh, he will be there against Michigan this weekend. And I, I hope to see you. Are you uh, Are you going? Actually, I'm going to be out of town. But uh, okay. we'll have it. On well, I'll there. see. I'll see Rick Lash. I'll see the guys. I'll see. We'll Eddie. have it right here. We'll have it on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be there, man. And I, I'll see Silly. And um, I think he's got a little tailgate going. So oh, I'll, yeah. I'll see him. I, uh, a couple of I'll my, see my son. Yeah, good. I was just going to ask you, and a couple of my boys will be up there. Yeah. So, uh, we're all Sparties in this household. So you guys. We'll be at Lansing Brewing Company. Yeah. Big group of people. Excellent. Excellent. So, well, love, you, for, love you, Gary. Hey, man, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Enjoyed thanks. being at the Hall of Fame when you were inducted. You had a great speech, and uh, we'll connect again soon. Okay, bud? I appreciate you, Gibby. Love, love you. you. Love to you and your family. It was a great conversation with Gibby, and I'll have more on him, of course, in my game winner at the end of the podcast. But Freeze Pops, before we get into this week's Fast Five, what do you have for us? The DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you the Sportsbook National Championship. The SBNC is a weekend-long peer-to-peer tournament where players can buy into the tournament for a $1 million top prize. The tournament is being held at the Envoy Hotel in Weehawken, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. It will begin this Friday, November 5th, and end on Sunday, November 7th. And like I mentioned, you got a million bucks up for grabs here. Play amongst the best sports bettors in the game for bragging rights. The winner of the tournament will be given free tickets to the Championship Series Tournament of Champions event in January for an opportunity to be crowned as the GOAT. Here's how it works. Players can bet on three different sports, the NBA, NFL, and college football, with regulatory restrictions applying to college football. There is a $10,000 buy-in for the tournament, and players will receive a $5,000 bankroll for the weekend to use to place bets by entering a $5,000 pool, $1 million to first place with $2 million in guaranteed prizes throughout the weekend. You have to spend a minimum of $1,000 throughout the weekend to be eligible for the prize pool with no limit to the number of bets you can place. 
A leaderboard will track all the bets placed along with outcomes, all bets placed pre-match, no live betting. People will be able to join the tournament throughout the weekend. And as of right now, if you live in New Jersey, you can play online using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So check out the SNBC in Weehawken, New Jersey, this Friday, November 5th. It's finally here. Look for more information at DraftKings.com. Let's get into Morton's Fast Five. This is Morton's Fast Five, presented by BetMGM, where we run through the five biggest games of the weekend. We'll give you the Hall of Fame knowledge, and you guys place your bets accordingly. Four and one in week eight, Morton. Oh, let's go. And the Spartans beat Michigan. What a weekend for oh, the podcast. It was amazing. Four and one I'll take all day long. And then Sparty taking care of those little blue and maize corn colors. Ann Arbor folks down there. Bye-bye. Have a nice trip back to Ann Arbor. Don't let the door hit you and you know where. (laughs) Absolutely love it. Let's kick things off with a rivalry you are incredibly familiar with. The Falcons are at New Orleans Sunday at 1 o'clock on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Saints are six-point favorites at the time of this recording. But, Morton, I have to imagine that number is going to move given the quarterback situation in New Orleans. Anytime these two teams play each other, you can just throw the, the line out the window. It's going to be a field goal game. It's going to be tight. It's going to be down to the wire, and it's going to be decided in the fourth quarter. That's usually what happens when the Falcons and the Saints play. This is a great rivalry uh, for obvious reasons, geographically close together. Both teams used to travel really well. I think they still do pretty well, but you're right, man. Jameis Winston, wow, he's gone with an ACL injury. Also, I think a partly torn MCL, some issues there. And, uh, you know, Trevor Simeon looked good. And I want, I want to see him start. I want Taysom Hill to line up wherever he wants to line up, wherever, you know, Peyton wants him to line up. So I, I like what Trevor Simeon was able to do against the Bucks. Uh, that was impressive to me. The defense, man, is really good for the Saints. Very opportunistic, and that's going to be the difference in this game. I think they'll get some pressure with their exotic looks on Matt Ryan, and I think the Saints win comfortably. Next up, the Packers are at Kansas City Sunday at 425 on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Packers are one-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton Rodgers versus Mahomes will always be a draw no matter what the records are for either team. Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers is playing better. He's not turning the ball over like Mahomes is. Just didn't look good against uh, the Giants. Kansas City looks like, uh, as I talked about in the last pod, can't get out of their own way. It's turnovers, penalties, killing themselves. And that tight end who's usually great, I mean, he's dropping the rock. I know that Mahomes wants to continue to feed Hill and continue to feed feed his tight end, but they're not really playing at a high level. I like Green Bay in this game all day. And the one point, cover that easily. So Green Bay, Chiefs need to get this thing going. Or they're going to be sitting at home in January. Next up, the Browns are at Cincinnati Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Bengals are three-point favorites at the time of this reporting. 
even when both of these teams were horrible, I enjoyed the Battle of Ohio. So this one should be good. Both teams are good. Yeah, this is good football teams here getting together and, and for bragging rights. I think I like a slight edge to Cincinnati in this one, just a home field advantage. The Cleveland running game is not healthy yet. And uh, let's face it, that, that's the difference maker for the Cleveland Browns. So I like I like Cincinnati at home. You know, I think they'll take care of business uh, and I think they win. And uh, with the three points, I also think they will cover. Next up, the Titans are at Los Angeles to take on the Rams. Sunday night football on NBC. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Rams are seven and a half point favorites at the time of this recording. And Morton, we've got two teams dealing with two different types of emotional highs right now, highs and lows. Yeah, I mean, there's two massive stories for both of these teams heading into the week. And one is extremely positive and one is extremely negative. So the good news for the Rams, they acquired Vaughn Miller, all right, from the Broncos, which is blowing my mind right now. So he went there, the Broncos get a couple of draft picks next year. He's a free agent at the end of the year and he'll still playing at the peak of his power. So he's a stud. He's joining a defense that's already full of studs, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. So the Rams continue to pile on the star power. The bad news, and this is for Tennessee, King Henry, Derrick Henry, he's gone. He's undergone foot surgery and he's pretty much certainly out for the season. So he is their offense, and he had an MVP caliber season, and he was leading the NFL in rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. So it's a bummer for the Titans that he's gone. I think the Rams win easily. The line seven and a half points. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. They cover that. They win. Last game of this week's Fast Five, the Bills are at Jacksonville Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Bills are 14.5-point favorites at the time of this recording. And Morton, usually I like to short these huge numbers, but this one actually seems to make perfect sense to me. <laughs> it's so sick that it's, it's true. I mean, Urban Myers is probably perusing college head coaching positions as we speak. So much hype about this Urban Meyer. He's just, I, I don't know, man. Don't get the good vibe from him. Listen, Buffalo takes care of business in Jacksonville. It's going to be ugly down there. Poor, I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence, but there's always next year or next year or next year or next year. You get my drift. <laughs> yeah, Trevor Lawrence will be okay with the next head coach, whether that's next year or in the middle of next year mm. or two years from now. I mean, Urban Meyer's not long for that job. And uh, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence has shown some flashes, but generally speaking, the Jaguars might be one of the worst football teams I've ever seen this season. So yeah, and Buffalo and Josh Allen and their defense, I mean, uh, studs. As as I told our listeners a while ago, Buffalo's going to be in the Super Bowl and it's gonna, they're going to win the championship. Sixth in offense, first in defense. That is a completely dominant football team. All right, there you go. So we're going four and one again this week, five and oh. What do you think? I would love to go five and oh. I kind of feel the vibe on five and oh again. We've already done it this year. I think coming off of four and one, let's just go undefeated. Yeah, I like that sound. We're 20 and 20 on the season. So you didn't need to mention that. No, but this is like a turning point here for us, you know? Like I, I think the four and one. Got us to 500. I think once you get to 500, then you focus on getting to the playoffs, right? Okay, let's get there, man. <laughs> All right. All right, now let's get to Morton's game winner.
Kirk Gibson is a great teammate. It means something to him to be part of something bigger than himself. It's important that the team comes first and he would always be the guy who spoke up when it did not feel right. He never compromised the standards that he set for himself and the team. He was relentless and consistent because he loved his guys whom he played next to. They meant everything to him and they still do. Kirk is a rare human. He had otherworldly athletic skills, not just in football, but baseball and anything else he chose to do. He ran like a deer and caught everything thrown his way. He was big and physical and never gave a play away. He never took a play off and you better not either. Not everyone liked him because he was in your face and he would challenge you all the time. Relentless and consistent. Gibby is fighting another battle today and he's doing it with gusto and bravery. Parkinson's is a formidable foe and he knows it. But know this from the man, don't feel sorry for Kirk Gibson. Instead, join him and the Kirk Gibson Foundation in his effort to find solutions and treatments. Gibby always would say this, you just have a choice whether you have Parkinson's or whether you have a headache or whether you have a kid who's acting up and is not cooperative, you have a choice. You can make it a good day, a positive day. You can get your butt up and you get moving. You get on your feet and go for a little light walk out in the sun get some sun you're going to feel better that's just the way it is i'm siding with kirk gibson because he is a true warrior a true spartan i admired his dominance on the field but more importantly he's taught me far more off the field through his sheer determination and grit in the face of adversity Gibby, I salute you, my brother. We'll see you next time. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet $10 to win $200 if your team scores a touchdown, and bet on any NFL money line. If your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and it's the official odds maker of Great Dane Nation.